and begin. Okay, so we left off in the Mishnah at the end of the Afpeyam and Bay. We'll quickly review it. The Mishnah had said that you can use anything. Um, you can use anything for an Eruv, um, and you can use anything for Shitufim of voice, any kind of, it seems, food. Chutz, with the exception of Chutz, with the exception of water and salt. This is the opinion of Rabbi Eliezer. However, Bishua holds Bishua Eimer Kikar Hu Eruv, a loaf sounds like a loaf of bread. That's how you make an Eruv, and he adds Afilu Maafesa Hu Prusa. Even if it's a giant loaf, right, like a bris loaf, you see, like a the big Hasidish assume because they have a giant, giant loaf of chal. Even if it's a huge loaf, Hu Prusa, but you just got a slice of it. That's no good. Right, anything that's not, or even if you have half of it, if you have three quarters of it, it's incomplete. If it's not a shalem, we can use it. However, kikar b'iser, if it's a tiny coin-sized kikar, a very small loaf, as long as it's an entire loaf, it can be used as the food which the Eruv is um, anchored on. So says the Gemara, Tanina Chadazimna. We really learned this already. We learned this in a bright elsewhere. The, the Brysa says you can use anything for an Eruv and anything for Shitufim voice for connecting a Mavoy, an alleyway. Um, you can use anything for connecting an alleyway. Um, even um, if, with the exception of water and salt. I'm a rabbi, so why do we need to repeat it? Rabbi explains, We're trying to come to exclude Rabbi Yehoshua, the opinion of Rabbi Yehoshua. The Omar kikar in We know the Mishnah says Rabbi Yehoshua says it's got to be a kikar, it's got to be a loaf, right? So you might think that when we said bechol ma'arvin, right, we actually meant you can use any kind of bread. We didn't specify there are many different types of bread. There are five different types of grain. As we're going to see later in the Gemara, there are even kinds of bread which aren't made from the five types of grain. So you might have thought any loaf, any loaf. But now that we have it both in the Bryce and the Mishnah, we know that what we actually mean is you can use anything at all, even yain pears, even wine and fruit uh, and vegetables. Okay. So it says the Gemara, you can use anything, um, any type of food for Erev Chatseris and any type of food for Shetufim But they own, the only specification, the only requirement of bread is So in other words, it seems to be modifying the beginning statement. The beginning statement, we said quite clearly that you can use anything. But then we tacked onto it we tacked onto it that it's got to be bread. So clearly what we meant was you can use any kind of bread and not any kind of anything. Welcome, Jonathan. It's really great to have you back with us. You can use any kind of bread um, and not uh, just any kind of anything, right? Because again, the Gemara had been trying to say that Bakal, what we're coming to emphasize with the second repetition um, is that uh, you can use any kind of food and not just any kind of bread. But this price seems to limit what the broad selection of, uh, of options to you can use any kind of bread, but not any kind of food. You couldn't use wine or fruit or the like. To which the Gemara responds, which the Gemara, oh, I'm sorry, the Gemara continues the question. Man shamit the Omar pass in media Who is the opinion who holds, right, pass in media strictly bread? Loy, Rabbi Yeshua, right? We clearly see that Bakal is not necessarily, right, we're trying to come la'afuki midi Rabbi Yeshua. The Chiddush is, right, we're, we're coming to say you shouldn't get confused. It could be that there's no dispute in the Mishnah. It could be everyone agrees 
that you can use bread. The only the only Chiddush the Mishnah is saying you can use any kind of bread. So he said added to that was the Brisa that showed us that no, you could use anything. But says the Gemara, the fact that you use the word bakol doesn't necessarily demonstrate that you can use any kind of food because we clearly had this Brisa which said bakol, you can use anything and then clear, went right ahead and specified and that means bread, any kind of bread. So Ella Amarav Barbachana we are coming to exclude a different opinion of Rabbi Yeshua, right? A different element of Rabbi Yeshua's opinion. It's not the fact that it, whether it has to be bread or not. We're not talking about that right now. What we're addressing is, does it have to be whole or can it be broken? Can it be a chunk of bread? Does it have to be whole or can it be broken? Says the Gemara, Kamash Malan Bakol, Uprusa. You can use anything, including a broken piece of bread, a half a piece of bread, a slice of bread. That's also totally acceptable as long as it's enough. As long as it's enough. So says the Gemara, my time alloy, so my, my time alloy, excuse me, Uprusa, my time alloy, right? What indeed is the problem with Uprusa? With a broken off piece. Rabbi Yisman Shal Amar Rabbi Mishum Eva. The problem is, if we let people, the opinion that holds you're not allowed to use a prusa, you're not allowed to use a broken piece, a broken piece they hold that it's going to create Eva because they're going to be putting together the Erev and everyone's going to be contributing their food towards the Erev. And they're going to say, it's not fair. This fellow always brings a prusa. He always brings a broken off piece of bread. I want to bring a broken off piece of bread. Why does he always get to bring a broken off piece of bread? It's going to create strife because some people are going to have a, a whole loaf of bread handy and others won't, and others won't. Right? It's not good. So says the Gemara, hold on one second. I have a simple solution. Let everybody use a broken piece of bread. Right? <laughs> What's the big deal? If we're afraid of people you know, feeling obligated, oh, it's not fair because I always have to bring a whole one. You don't, So... How about we just tell everyone, bring a single slice of bread? Says the Gemara, we don't really know, we don't really have a way to, since the halacha does not require you to bring a broken piece of bread, right? What's very likely to happen is people will go to their default, and their default, it would seem, is to bring a whole pe- a whole loaf of bread. And then, naturally, in other words, just give it a few weeks, and people will be fighting again, because there's no way to force them to bring a single slice and inevitably, someone's going to always land up bringing a whole one, and there's going to be the one lazy fellow or the cheap fellow who only brings a slice, a small piece, a broken off piece, um, and this will, again, lead to strife. Okay. Amr V'yechem Medjol. Nitla heimeno k'dei chalosa u'k'dei dimua ma'arvin lo'ibu. So we've established that the bread has to be whole, right? At least according to Bishu, it's got to be a whole, sli- a whole piece of bread, a whole loaf of bread, excuse me. Says Abraham and Shaul, there are certain small amounts of bread that can be removed and not be an issue. What are examples? Let's say um, you suspect or you know that the person who um, who uh, that the person who made the bread didn't take challah. Usually, you're supposed to take challah. You're supposed to separate a piece of the dough and give it to the kohen while it's still dough. But you happen to know that the fellow didn't do so. So what you can do is you can rip off a piece of the bread. So you can, if a small piece of the bread was taken for challah purposes, that is not an issue. That is not an issue. That's still considered a whole piece of bread. Another similar situation is ukedei dimua. Sometimes we buy food from somebody and that fellow is an amaretz. Right, he's somebody who we can't count on to take trumas and meisers properly. So the the um, the resultant produce is called demai, right? So for some reason you forgot 
or maybe you bought the, the bread already baked by an Amaretz, you forgot to separate, no one ever separated, or we suspect that Trumas and Meisters were never separated from this piece of, this loaf of bread. So you would also, again, you'd rip off a 50th and a 10th um, in order to, uh, in order to, uh, in order to be, I'd say, uh, the, in, in, in order to, excuse me, remove the problem of demai. So says the Gemara, just the 50th if I recall correctly. So it says the Gemara, right? Um, in that scenario, that's considered a whole piece of bread. There's no lacking in the fact that you tore off those small pieces. It says the Gemara, we have a b'risa which says, which contradicts this. It, 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 the other b'risa agrees that when it comes to the issue of demai, of potentially untithed, um, bread, that that's okay. Removing that little piece does not take away its status as a whole loaf of bread. However, we don't find that chalasa, this price says that if you needed to remove um, the amount necessary for taking challah, that indeed would invalidate it. It would make it not good material for an Eruv. It's too large of a piece to remove. It's too, it, it reduces the loaf to a broken piece. So says the Gemara, not a problem, like Kasha. There's a difference between a baker's loaf and a balabai is a homeowner's loaf. What's the difference? It's not. Shir chalo Right? Somebody uh, who, when you take chala, the shear is, the amount you're supposed to take is 124th of the dough. Now, says the, says the Mishnah, if you're making dough for yourself or for, uh, you know, you're marrying off a child or something, you're making a dough for you and your guests. So then, the amount you remove is 124th. A baker, right, a large-scale baker who's making bread to sell in the marketplace, or even a small-time baker, a woman who uh, sells homemade baked goods in the marketplace, they get to take off less. They're allowed to take 148. So if all you took off was 148 because you're making your baked goods to sell, then that's not considered a problem. That piece of bread, which is missing a small piece, is not considered, right? let's say you bought it from a baker and you realize that no challah was taken. So you take off that small piece. That's not an issue. That's perfectly okay um, because it's a relatively small piece. However, if you got the bread from your own house and uh, you baked it yourself, so you have to take off a larger amount ex post facto, since you forgot to take off challah originally, you have to take a you have to take it now from the baked bread. And since you're a homeowner, it's going to be 124th instead of 148th. That's a large enough piece that it's an issue. Okay. Now, Amr of Chista. Now, but this is amazing, by the way, because all these halachas carry right over to the halachas of brachas. Um, or when we're um, when we're making, when we're washing for challah on Shabbos, all these uh, all these rules carry right over. Because since it's all rabbinic laws, Erev and brachas are all rabbinic laws, so it all, um, it transfers very nicely. Okay, so now says the Gemara, Amr of Chista, Tafra saying, what happens if you have, let's say, imagine a, a big loaf of bread and you broke it in half. So let's say you want to do is you take a bunch of wooden toothpicks, a bunch of little wooden sticks, and you kind of pin the two halves together. You use them as like pegs to attach the two halves of the loaf of bread together. That's not a problem, right? As long as it's not visible. Marvin Leibon, Marvin Leibon. You're allowed to make an air with that. Says the Gemara Vatanya Ain Marvin Leba. We specifically have a rice which says that such a uh, stuck together, jerry rigged piece of bread is no good. It's not an appropriate way to make an air. Says the Gemara like Kasha. It depends whether there is a visible gap, whether it's obvious that you've, uh, you've, you're, whether your subterfuge is, is, is obvious, right? If it's clearly a piece of chal, a bread that's been stuck together, um, 
you know, uh, haphazardly, then that's no good. But if it looks for all uh, intents and purposes, uh, intents and purposes like a um, like a regular loaf of bread, and only you know the secret, then that's okay. All right, Amr of Zera, Amr Shmuel, Arvin bepas oiris upas So we know, sure, we know that um, we know that there are five types of grain. Five types of grain. The Torah recognizes five types of grain. It's actually fairly controversial exactly what those how to define those types of grain in modern terms because people who are educated in the, the history of agriculture know that many grains take on many different um, uh, evolutions and identities over the years. And for example, I think like there's there's a whole movement now of people who try to only eat ancient grains. They only eat like einkorn wheat and things like that because they feel that uh, the human body is not optimized to consume these very, very bread and uh, redefined um, uh, grains that we use today, which could be, who knows. But anyway, they are traditionally identified as wheat, barley, oats, spelt, and rye. Those are the four types of grain that the Torah recognizes as being grain, right? So what that means is that if I make bread out of them, I have to um, wash my hands, recite the bracha of hamotzi, and then I have to say bruch samoz, and I have to bench uh, a a full long benching of four brachas after after I get done uh, eating that bread. However, you can make things that are called bread. We might say, oh, this is this is bread, but don't have that halachic status. And that would be if you make them with legumes, um, or not even legumes, um, even with uh, grains like rice or millet, that's ayurz and daichen, or rice and millet. If you make bread like that, so while it can kind of serve the function of a regular bread, but it does not have the halachic status of full-blown bread. And that is why, if you can actually get, by the way, in a good health food store, you can get rice bread, um, and uh, you would make the same bracha on it that you would make on a bowl of fruity pebbles or of rice krispies, make a mazonis and a brain of fascists, um, because that is the uh, long-established custom, Ashkenazic Jews certainly, I don't think Sephardim have a very different, um, because uh, we don't consider that to be a real grain. We don't consider it to be a real grain. So it says the Gemara like this. Um while we acknowledge that these kinds of bread are not true bread, you nonetheless are permitted to use them as the bread for an Eruv. So Omar Marukva, Marukva says, I had Shmuel's statement explained to me as follows. Shmuel concedes that rice bread um, indeed, may be used for an Erev, but millet bread, Paz Doichen, that's not acceptable. You can use Paz Doichen, um, millet bread, for an Erev, because it's a, it's a very, very low-quality item. It's a very low-quality food. Right, so this is already is a big stretch. You can make an eruv with lentil bread. So lentils aren't even close to being a grain. If you eat lentils, you don't even make a mazenis, you make a hadama. So says the Gemara, it's not true. There was a um, there was a case of uh, of um, of somebody who made such a bread in, in, in the presence of Shmuel. And what happened? He took that uh, that adoshim bread, that lentil bread, and vishadi lekalbe. He threw it to the dog. And v'loy You know what happened? The dog wouldn't even eat it. 
even the dog wouldn't eat it. So it's a totally unacceptable food. We say general, the general rule is that if a food is something that even a dog wouldn't eat, it's not even food anymore. So no matter what you call it, whatever you base the Erev on certainly has to be food. If it doesn't have the status of food, then you're certainly not allowed uh, to use it as the Erev. So if a dog won't eat it, it's not food. It says, It wasn't that bread. It wasn't only lentils. It had some other things in it too. So now he's going to quote a famous pasuk, a famous verse in Yechaskel. Take wheat, barley, beans, lentils, and v'doichin the kusmin and um, uh, rye, uh, spelt and um, and millet, spelt and millet. So if you go to the grocery store, certainly health food type places. Uh, they have them in Trader Joe's too. You can find this bread. It's called Ezekiel bread. Um, and it looks a little frightening. Uh, I have a feeling that they try to make it a little tastier than what the what the verse in Yechesko is trying to convey in terms of the unpleasantness of the bread. Um, but the verse is trying to convey a very unpleasant, unpalatable kind of bread. So that kind of combination, that's just vile, right? That's just disgusting. And, and uh, even a dog wouldn't eat that, given the chance. Uh, so says the Gemara, Rav Papa Amar Hahi Tzuluya B'Tzayas Adam Havoy. That uh, that type of bread, that sort of situation, um, is was it was cooked. The fuel for the fire was human waste, which is pretty vile. The fuel for the fire, we know that the waste material can serve as fuel for a fire, but the idea of using human waste as fuel for a fire in which you're going to cook your food is is absolutely vile. It's part of the message that was trying to be communicated in the prophecy. Um, so again, that would explain why the, even the dogs wouldn't touch it, right? The Pasuk says there that that's where he's supposed to bake this bread, he's supposed to bake the bread in a fire fueled by human waste. It says, um, uh, excuse me, you should prepare it in front of them. Everyone should see how the vile way in which you're preparing this bread. It says the Gemara, my ugas soerim teichalna. The um the the verse says ugas soerim teichalna. You should eat it as like a cake of barley. So Amrav Chista lishurim, right? Lishurim meaning you should basically um uh um uh, demonstrate, right? You should eat it in, in you should eat it in a very demonstratively careful, eating very small amounts at a time, showing basically the extent of your misery. You're eating this disgusting food, and you, even this disgusting food, you have to eat it really carefully because you're afraid of running out of it. It should be prepared. The fashion in which you prepare the bread should be um, like as you would prepare barley bread, which is a lower quality, a very unpleasant kind of bread, um, and not the way you would prepare wheat bread, which is preferable. Nonetheless, we see that uh, it seems to be that it is acceptable to use bread made out of lentils, as long as it does not have other E, A, other, other, these other grains mixed into it, and potentially B, as long as it is not um, baked on a, fl- a fire fueled by human excrement. Okay, so those are, seem to be pretty easy problems to avoid. New Mishnah, bottom of payoff. Let's say I decide I'm going to be, a, I'm going I'm to try to economize a little bit. And rather than, right, I'm save a little time, rather than going to my pantry and digging up some food. So let's say I share the space, I share, um, I share a street, an alleyway, a mavoy with a store owner, and the store owner has lots of food for sale. So I say, hey, listen, buddy, here's 20 bucks, but, you know, and, uh, and my purpose is, I'm thinking, right? I want him to, um, 
to, uh, to I, I want to join the Eruv by just simply giving him money. And since he has all this uh, food, I'll be considered as if I bought a stake in his food. A, a, a portion of his food. That's the opinion of Rebelezer. You can do that. However, the sages say, the other Chacham say, it does not work that way. Right? Why is that? Rashi explains because we have a general rule in Shaz, we have a general rule in the Gemara. Money does not have the power, the acquisitive power. Money cannot acquire things for you. The only way um, that you can acquire something is using an approved method of Kenyan, an approved uh, Torah method of acquiring things, which usually involves picking it up um, or pulling it. It might involve Chalipin, making an exchange for it. But one thing that does not work is money. Now, from a Sinaic, Mosaic level, money actually does work. Um, according at least to one opinion in the Gemara, but the Chachamim, the sages made a takana, they made a rule saying that money cannot work because we have a concern called Nisrifu Chitecha Ba'aliyah, right? Um, which is going to come up on a base, but I'm just giving you a little heads, a little head start. Nisrifu Chitecha Ba'aliyah basically means that, let's say you and I are doing a business deal, and uh, I say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a, you know eight thousand dollars, and I'll I'll take delivery of a big uh, you know my my shipment of wheat uh, at the end of the week. So I pay the fellow the money, and while I'm waiting for the shipment, to, while I'm waiting for the shipment to come out, uh, a fire breaks out in the warehouse, and all the wheat is gone. And so I come back to the guy and I say, hey, listen, buddy, I would like to have my wheat. And he says, well, I'm sorry, your wheat burned up in the fire. Once you gave me the money, it became your wheat. It happened to have been in my house, but it became your wheat. So since we want to avoid that kind of uh, exchange, that kind of scenario, therefore, it's necessary to say it's necessary to have a rule which says that money does not have the power to acquire things directly. And until the person picks up the thing that he has bought, um, there's no Kenyan, there's no acquisition. So therefore, um, so therefore, when you give him the money, if you didn't actually take the food, it's not, you don't have the food yet. It's simply not yours. So you don't have a portion in the food. You don't have the portion in the food. Um, and therefore, uh, you're missing, you're lacking Eruv. There's no Eruv here. Now, when Moedim Chachamim, the Chachamim can see, turning the page, or rather just Moedim, the Chachamim do agree, if it's not a shopkeeper, if it's a regular person, and I say, hey, buddy, here's 20 bucks for food, right? So then, right, why am I giving you money for food? You don't sell food. Obviously, the intent is to buy into the Eruv. So I do have the ability to buy into the Eruv. That's not a crazy thing. It's not a crazy thing. It's that if I happen to give the money to a shopkeeper without specifically asking him, please make me part of the Eruv, the assumption is that I'm simply buying food and I have not acquired the food yet because I never went and took it. And therefore, um, there's no Eruv going on over here. However, if I go to an average citizen like myself and hand them $20, right, that certainly can work because the only reason I'm handing him money, right, I say, please uh, write Zecheli Be'eruv, please, please I, I specify, please give me a portion of the Eruv, give me part in the Eruv. Okay, says the Gemara, says the Mishnah, because as a general rule, we need, um, we need intent. We need intent in order to make somebody an heir. So when it comes to a shopkeeper, right? When it comes to a shopkeeper, when he says, right? Um, when he says, here's my money, give me some food, right? So there's no implication that it has anything to do with the heir. He might be just trying to buy food and it's not his until he takes it. Because money does not is not kind of money doesn't have acquisitive power. However, 
Um, if you go right, Rashi notes, Rashi says, of course, if you would go to the store and take the loaf and then leave it there, that could function as your Eruv. That's not a problem at all. Right. Um, in other words, I could say, hey, here's the loaf. Now, please make an Eruv for us. Of course, you can do that. But uh, since you didn't speak that out, since you didn't make a, make a point to utter those words, so our assumption is you simply want to buy some bread and then you only get it whenever you show up to take it. But when I give it to my fellow citizen, my non-shopkeeper fellow citizen, the assumption is that I'm trying to buy into the Eruv. Why else would I be giving money to somebody for food who doesn't sell food? And therefore, I have a beautiful, perfectly functioning Eruv. This rule that we said a moment ago, that you need consent and intent to uh, make an Erev on someone's behalf, that's only true when it comes to Eruvei Tchumen, when it comes to setting up my Tchum Shabbos, how far I can how far I can travel, not whether or not I can carry, but how far can I travel outside the city, I the 2,000 Amis that I have, to travel so I can extend that space by placing an Eruv, um, an Eruv Tchumen. So that's the only place where you need intent. Why is that? Because there's a potential downside. There's a potential downside. The potential downside is maybe um, the person doesn't want to spend Shabbos in the place you're placing an Eruv for him. Maybe he wants to spend Shabbos somewhere else. He wants to base himself in the city and you're now taking him out into the countryside. That's not what he wants to do. So that's a problem of what's called Chavin Adam Shalai B'fanav. You're not allowed to do anything which may include a potential loss, potential downside risk um, for somebody uh, without his consent. However, making an Eruv Chatzerois for him, enabling him to carry within the Chatzer uh, that he lives in, the courtyard he lives in, that's a net benefit. There's no downside. Um, and therefore, it's more than a net benefit. There is no downside, period. And therefore, it's what's called Zachan Ladim Shleib of It is uh, definitely beneficial, and you don't need his agreement. You don't need consent to do something which is an absolute benefit, but you do need consent for something that has a possible downside. Says the Gemara, my time with Rebelezer, what's wrong with Rebelezer? What did Rebelezer say? Rebelezer said that um, you can give the shopkeeper money and say, I'd like some of that bread on the shelf over there. And even if you don't go and take the bread, that's a perfectly good functioning Erev. Ask the Gemara, why? You didn't do a Meshicha. You didn't take the bread. Meshicha is to draw, to pull something to you, right? So you didn't do that. It's not your bread. You don't have any bread here. Um, holds that the halacha the halacha goes after the, the the halacha I should say is comparable is similar to a different halacha which is called the halacha of dalad prakamishana the rule of the four seasons of the year what's this rule it's not we learned in the mishnah very interesting halacha there are times when you can um, you can go to a butcher and hand him a relatively small amount of money. Right? And you take a, you know, a dinner, a relatively small amount of money, and say, I want uh, you know, X amount of meat. I want a dinner's worth of meat. A dinar, not a dinner, but a dinner too. Right? A, a, a relatively small coin's worth of meat. And if he says, if he says to you, that's all very nice, but I don't have any readily, I don't have any ready meat. I don't have anything slaughtered. So you have to come back to me a different time. You can force him. You can say, no, you have to slaughter one of your large animals now, says the Gemara. Even if you have a cow which is worth a thousand dinar, 
and you have only bought one, the fellow, the buyer, has only bought one dinar's worth of it. You can force the butcher to slaughter the animal. You can force the butcher to slaughter the animal, even though, um, even though he may potentially incur a loss. Why is that? Why is that? Lefikach, right? What, what comes out of that, I should say first? It makes, if the animal dies, makes lekeach. If it dies, um, it dies in the in the property, it dies as the property of the buyer, right? In other words, you might say, oh, um, uh, I ordered, I paid you for a, a dinner's worth of meat. Now this animal has died. Give me a different dinner's worth of meat. Say, no, 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 you can't have it both ways. If you're able to force the butcher to slaughter the animal to give you the little piece of meat that you that you that your money has gotten you, then by definition, you have to eat the loss if the animal dies, the loss, the relatively small loss of your investment. Says the Gemara, how can that be? You didn't do any viable form of Kenyan. You didn't use any viable form of acquisition. You only handed money to the fellow. And we said earlier that we don't allow people to acquire things with money. Says the Gemara. So first the Gemara attempts like this. The case must be that you actually drew, you actually took the thing, right? You actually had um, acquired the cow for the one piece of meat that belonged to you in the whole big cow. Right? In other words, you did an act of uh, drawing the cow towards you for the purpose of acquiring the small portion of it that is indeed yours. Says the Gemara, if that's the case, compare this to the next part of that mission of the one, not the one on our page, the one we just quoted. Right, I'm sorry, in other words, not the one in Ervin, but the one we just quoted. Says the Gemara, it's not the case during the times of year that are not the four specific seasons when meat is very popular. A little background, right? There are four specific seasons. That was what we referred to when we said the Dalad Brachim. There are four specific seasons in which meat is in high demand. And in order to enable, right, during the Yamtiv, basically Yamtiv season, right? Yamtiv Pesach, Yamtiv of uh, Shavuos, Rosh Hashanah, Sukkot, and Arab Yom Kippur. People want meat. And the Chazal, the sages, expanded things to make sure, right? They, they, they acted to make sure that as many people as possible would have access to meat, even if you were a small-time buyer, even if you could only afford to buy a small amount, you can force the butcher to slaughter the animal. So Rav is attempting to say that that's only the case if you made a mishicha, if you actually pulled the cow towards you, even though you're only getting a small part of it, but you also pulled that part when you pulled the, hard cow, the whole cow. So as the Gemara can't be, because we're saying that throughout the whole year round, we're saying that you don't get, you, you can't demand that the, that the butcher slaughter the meat because you haven't acquired the meat until he decides to give it to you. So until then, it's just a deal you have. You gave him money. Whenever he's ready, he's going to give you the cow. You might be upset about it, but I'm sorry. You have to wait till he's ready to slaughter the cow. So says the Gemara, but if you're going to tell me that what the case we're discussing is somebody who drew the animal towards him, which is an effective, valid form of halachic acquisition of Kenyan, okay, I did everything I have to do. So why would it be any different depending on what time of year it is? So explains, the case is in fact that you didn't do any form of acquisition. All you did was give money. Now, even though but nonetheless, right? Um, says the Gemara, it's very simple. You were you you use the process known as zechia, right? Zechia is really tangentially has already come up in our Mishnah, but zechia essentially means that I can go behind your back without your knowledge, and I can acquire something for you if it is a net benefit to you. 
right? I can I can have you participate in air in the Irvin if it's a, if it's a benefit if it's strictly a benefit to you I should say not an effort strictly a benefit. And um, however, if there's any angle from which it could be argued that it's not a benefit, right? Then you're not allowed to do that without the person's consent. So says the Gemara. The case would be that the butcher has somebody else come in, and he says, "Listen, that fellow down there." <coughs> um, just gave me a dinar for a relatively small amount of meat. Would you please be zaycha, right? Would you please um, use your halachic acquisition powers to acquire the cow for him, for him, without his knowledge, because he needs meat. This is the time of year everyone needs meat. So that is a net zichia. It's a net gain. There's no question. I keep saying net. I don't think net is not the good way to say it, right? It is a total gain. There is no downside. It's a total zichia. And therefore, it's perfectly appropriate um, uh, it's perfectly appropriate to ask some third party to do a halachic, halachically acceptable act of acquisition on the cow and tell him, have in mind so-and-so who just came in here to buy a dinner's worth of meat. However, right, so in that, at that point in time, at that point in time, um, what happened? So I'm sorry. I should have specified. It's not that he came in here, right? Let's say, let's let's set this up a little bit. Let's say I know that there's a, I, I, I have a, a friend who doesn't need a whole lot of meat. I'm a butcher. I have a friend who doesn't need a whole lot of meat. A regular customer, he, he never buys a whole lot of meat. He only buys a very small amount. And I'm not quite ready to slaughter the animal yet, but I call in a third friend of ours and I say, listen, I know that so-and-so is going to come by looking for meat. Uh, sorry, left side, that is a very important distinction. So-and-so is going to come by looking for me, would you mind acquiring some for him? Go, make a halachic acquisition on the piece of meat, do a kinyan on the, on the cow, excuse me, on the cow, right, which includes that one, piece, that one small piece of meat. And it'll be good when he comes by, I'll say, oh, it's so good to see you, my friend. I've already had our other friend make a halachic acquisition on your behalf. Your piece of meat will be ready. So then when the fellow comes in, he says, please give me my little piece of meat. I heard that you made a halachic acquisition with our third friend. Then he says to him, oh, I don't want to. I'm not ready to slaughter the salmon. At that time, you can say to him, too bad. It's already mine. Why is that the case? Only because it's a time of year where we know that everyone wants meat. Meat is very popular. Therefore, we were able to acquire the meat for him without his knowledge. However... There are times of year which we can't say we know for sure, especially a person who can't afford to buy a lot of meat. We don't know for sure if he's interested in meat this week, right? Maybe he wanted to have a chicken Shabbos. Maybe he wanted to have a quiet, uh, uh, you know, a Shabbos that was a little less expensive. So therefore, um, therefore, that would be a case of chavin leila adam. There are potential downside risks. We cannot assume that he wants meat. And therefore, there's no way that we can acquire it in advance for him without his knowledge. That's a good suggestion. Says the Gemara, Rav Ilam, Rav Yechanan, Bedalad Prakim Elu, Hamidu Chachamim, Devreim al Devrei Taira. During this time, a, a much more simple and perhaps a more elegant solution. The Chachamim pulled back, the sages pulled back their restriction on acquiring things with money. As we mentioned earlier, in general, there's a restriction that says money cannot be used to acquire things. Only, only you need valid forms of halachic acquisition, picking something up, drawing it towards you. That's how you acquire things. However, in this time, since, again, we're trying to prevent the small time people, 
from being uh, unable to buy meat. So we say that at the, that the moment that you give money to the butcher, you already acquired your piece of meat. We restore things to the original way they were before the ordinance of the sages banning acquiring things by, by using cash. So in other words, now we're back at the Sinai state of affairs, the, the, the pre-rabbinic state of affairs in which cash actually acquires things. Therefore, when you hand the butcher your money, you already immediately get a piece of meat. And therefore, of course, he has to slaughter the animal if that's what it takes to get you your piece of meat. This is finally the punchline. So too here, Rabbi Eliezer says that when it comes to Erevin, when it comes to acquiring a stake in Erev food, the Chachamim are makil and they, they are lenient and they allow you, they roll back the state of affairs to the way it was at the time of the giving of the Torah, before the rabbinic enactment, which limited the ability of cash um, to acquire things, which said you can acquire things with cash. And therefore, now you can, when, when you're trying to acquire something for an Eruv, you can acquire it with cash. And therefore, when you gave the shopkeeper the cash, you're um, your stake in the piece of bread is already acquired, it's already actively there, and there's no reason you can't have a perfectly good functioning Eruv. Says the Gemara, right, because the Amr of Yechon, the Torah Mois, kind of from a Torah perspective, before rabbinic involvement, money, cash can be used to acquire things. Why do the sages insist that Mashiach Kaina, that only by dragging something, by taking something into your possession, can you acquire it? Like we said, we're afraid that if some kind of accident happens before you take delivery of the commodity that you acquired, of the grain that you acquired, you're going to lose everything even though you haven't really done, you haven't had a moment of benefit. You never got the grain. The grain never left the warehouse since we want to avoid that problem because it will kill our economy if people are constantly scared of taking, right? If inv investors are always scared of that kind of loss, we need to be able to have uh, relatively unrestricted trade. And therefore we make ordinances to help trade flow more freely. All right. Says the Gemara, the Chachamim concede, the sages concede when it comes to anyone who's not a shopkeeper that you can hand them money, you can hand him money, and he can just click you in to the Eru. You can buy into the Eru. Says the Gemara, what do we mean? What do you mean any other person? What do you mean? It's a regular householder, a person who's not a storekeeper. Shmuel says that also um, a regular homeowner. He says similarly, a shopkeeper, a nachtim is a large-scale baker, like we saw earlier. So the same idea. A large-scale baker, you would have to assume that he's just essentially putting in an order for bread and has nothing to do with uh, an Eruv. But an average person... Um, you are uh, safe in assuming that uh, that he's trying to buy into the Eruv. Shmuel puts another restriction on. He says, this whole stringency that if you give a um, a shopkeeper money, it doesn't work. That's only if you give him money. But if you barter, right, if you give him you know, a, a phone, a knife, something that's uh, of, of use, then you can assume that he understands you're trying to buy into the Eruv. Furthermore, says, right, it's only to the extent that you say this kind of ambiguous thing to the storekeeper. We only limit, we only say you cannot make an error by handing money to a shopkeeper, a storekeeper, if you just say, right, get me some, right, give me, get me something, right? So then he assumes you're trying to buy food from him. 
However, if you say, right, please make me an Eruv, please, please let me buy into your Eruv, I'm not worse because I'm a shopkeeper, right? Shopkeeper just adds a potential complication. But if I push out that complication by specifying I intend to buy into the Eruv, that's perfectly acceptable. Amr of Yehuda, of Yehuda says, right? We had in the Mishra, Yehuda commented, Yehuda says that all these limitations only apply by Eruv Techumen. We only need consent of the, um, we only need the consent of the person you're trying to add on to the Eruv when making an Eruv Techumen. But you don't need that consent when you're, when you're trying to establish how far he can walk on Shabbos. But you don't need that consent when you're trying to establish where he can carry on Shabbos because that's a net, that's a, that's a total benefit. It says the Gemara Mavidah Marshmul, Halacha Kerb Yehuda, the, the halacha is in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda. That's how we rule. Wherever we find Shashan Rabbi Yehuda be'erivin halach kamoisi. Whenever Rabbi Yehuda teaches something that's related to Erevin, to Erev matters, we rule like him. Amr of Yehuda, Sir of Chana of Baghdad asks Rabbi Yehuda, excuse me, um, Right? Would you say, would you say, according to the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda Amar Shmuel, right? According to the opinion there of Yehuda is citing in the name of his Rabbi, or um, would, would Shmuel, more simply put, would Shmuel say that we rule like Rabbi Yehuda, even in the case of his controversial ruling about a mavoi what's he referring to? If you have a mavoi, a street, an alleyway, which was set up to have an Arab that had a lechi and a kaira, it had a pole and a crossbeam. And then at some time on Shabbos, the pole and the crossbeam were removed. Someone, someone maliciously, accidentally, who cares, they removed them, they found, they, uh, they, um, they, uh, they took them away. So the Chacham say, sorry, you can't carry it there anymore on Shabbos. You got to wait till after Shabbos. Rabbi Yudha says, not a problem. Since you went into Shabbos with them, that's okay. So says the Gemara, Very interesting way of putting it. He says, specifically in matters of Erevin, specifically in things which implicate only the questions of, is this a good Erev or not, but not in the halachic definition of walls. Over here, the issue at stake is the halachic definition of walls. We're using that pole and that crossbeam to make a, a halachic, at least if not a functional, but a halachic wall. So if the if the majority opinion is against Rabbi Yehuda in terms of can we define what's still here as a wall, right? So that understandably um, we're allowed to say that's not really an Erevin matter. That's a that that extends to sugyas beyond Erevin. That's kind of a, a more essential question. How do we define a halachic wall? So therefore, we're not that lenient like Rav Yehuda's opinion all the time. Okay. The implication of halacha, the halacha is in accordance with Yehuda, implies that there are those who disagree with him in, relevant, in, in, in relation to his opinions about Erevin. We have a rule of thumb. Shubham Levi teaches a rule of thumb. Whenever Yehuda pipes up in a Mishnah and says, What are we talking about? Where is this said? He says like this limiting clause. Right Under what circumstances is the, is the halacha, you thought, right? In other words, there's a particular halacha, which could be applied in cases A, B, and C. And Yehuda will pop up and say, Oh no, this halacha can really only be applied in A. Right, even though it sounds like a more general statement, you should know limited. It should only be applied to case A, to scenario A. 
so says the Gemara, in fact, whenever he says that, he's not disagreeing with the person who said made the original statement. He's simply explaining what they meant, right? He's not, there's no disagreement. Everyone's on the same page. So it would seem in Armish, now if Yehuda clearly says, under what circumstances are we, what, what situation are we dealing with? Where does this refer to? He means to explain, but not to disagree. So there's not actually a debate. What do you need to say? The halachas like Rabbi Yehuda. What do you mean? Everyone agrees. Rabbi Yehuda wasn't coming to argue. He was coming to explain. Says the Gemara, what are you going to tell me? You're going to tell me they're not arguing with each other? Right, says the Gemara, um, uh, um, says the Gemara, we had just earlier in the previous Mishnah that if there are, if more individuals join the Erev, or they join the street where the Erev is, the Chatzar where the Erev is, rather, the courtyard where the Erev is, so what do you do? You add more food, either you take their own food with their permission, or you take your own, your own food or someone else who's in agreement's food, and your Mizaka, you say, we are having in mind to buy in uh, our new friends to the Erev. So, um, so right says the Gemara says the Gemara right over there right over there is an example right over there is there an, is an example this is the Mishnah and Daf right so right over there we see clearly that you need agreement we see clearly that the previous Mishnah held that you need agreement you need the consent of the governed you need the consent of those included in the Eruv even though it's an Eruv Chatzeris which Rehuda is claiming is a net benefit that everyone wants and you don't have to ask permission whatsoever well clearly it says in that mission earlier that um, it says in that mission earlier that uh, you would need to um, you need to let them know before you make the acquisition what do you mean? Let me make the acquisition without his knowledge. It's a total benefit. That's, that would be Rav Yehuda's opinion. So we see that there is indeed a dispute between Rav Yehuda and the other sages. Says the Gemara, no, Hasam That's only in the case that over there is a, a situation where it's a Chatzah Shabin Shnei you're, you're in a courtyard and there are two Mavois. There are two streets um, which enclose that Chatzah. And the members of one Mavoy want to bring in Right, the members of one alley, one street, want to bring in the person who lives in the in the chutzer, in the courtyard middle, to their alley. But we don't really know. Maybe he'd really prefer to go through the other alley. Maybe he wants to carry in that alley. Maybe he wants nothing to do with us. So we have to consult with him to find out what he prefers. But in a situation where there's no question what space he would like to share, and when you have a chutzer, a courtyard which is only attached to one alley, so that is different. Okay. Well, it says the Gemara, that's very nice. We have Rav Shizvi on record. Rav Shizvi quotes Rav Chista as saying, There is a dispute between Rav Yehuda and his friends. He doesn't agree with that explanation, that it would be only in a case where there is some added potential downside. He says, no, the other, the colleagues of Rav Yehuda disagreed with him, and they held that even if it is a clear and undeniable benefit to include the person in the Eruv, you still have to ask his permission. Says the Gemara, Gavra, Gavra Karamas, at this point, you're already facing up Rabbi Yeshua and Levi and Shmuel and Rav Shizir and Chista, you're lining up these Amoroyim, these later authorities against each other. That's no problem. Marsavar Pligi, Umarsavar Loi Pligi. It's a debate among the sages on this exact point. Are they even arguing or not? And that is where we will leave it for today.